necessarily like understand in in the hunting industry in general like just because like you have something doesn't mean people are gonna buy it from you you know especially with like the saddle hunting stuff and people coming out with like their i call them garage sticks like all these different climbing sticks that are on the market Mm -hmm. nowadays and just because you have something doesn't mean that it's a good product or that people are gonna buy it like you still need to market it you still need to be like a nice person you know because there is like I mean, we were talking earlier and about how much money like we have, we make. And at this point in my life, I buy from people that I like and, yeah, and I mean, companies that I like. Yeah. Right. So like, I mean, if, if two guys are selling, trying to sell me, you know, climbing six and one of them is a hundred bucks and one of them is 80 bucks, but the dudes that selling me for 80 bucks is a dick. Like I'm buying from the guy who's a hundred dollars all day. Like I'll pay yeah. it's $20. Like, it's not that big of a deal when you're investing, you know, if you're going to buy four of them, fuck $400 on some new sticks. And then you're thrown into your saddle and everything like, you know, yeah, just people need to be like nicer. <laughs> I, saw, I just saw that Hawk is launching a saddle here soon. Like it's like the Hawk like, Helium company. Yeah, they're calling it like the Hawk Helium hammock saddle or something like that. But for oh, shit. you get a saddle tether platform everything for like 329 so it's not oh, too man. bad that's cheap that's but cheap. It's, it's interesting though because you know you had tethered and arrow hunter and you know these companies kind of small and now you have the big name brands coming in to make it more mainstream so i'm i don't know maybe prices will go down on some but maybe not <laughs> Right. Yeah. No, I don't think like, you know, I work with Arrow Hunter and I know the guy who's the head marketing for Arrow Hunter. He lives down the road from me. Super nice dude. And he just kind of said to me like a couple years ago, he just said, Hey, Anthony, like, I really like your content. Um, If I send you a saddle, will you just try it out for a week? If you don't like it, give it back. If you like it more than you're tethered, you know, you're welcome to keep it. And all I ask is that when you do wear it or something like that, you just say, Hey, I'm wearing an Arrow Hunter saddle. You know, like that's, he was really chill and cool about it. And, uh, and I, and like, I'm by no means have a whole lot of clout. You know, I just make decent content for, for beginning hunters, but, uh, like that's, that's the type of people that I like to work with. And a lot of people are, are getting to be that way or, or the industry is really not focused on just money, money, money. It's a lot of relationships and, and building those relationships and just working with people that you like. So, I, you know, of course, I tried the Arrow Hunter on and I liked it more than the the, the old tethered I had, um, the Mantis. And now they have the Phantom, which seems pretty similar to the Arrow Hunter one anyway. Um, it's just mesh versus opaque. I don't know the difference there. I'm not a fabric dude. But I I do think that, it, like, my personal thought is that Hawk, if Hawk gets into it, like, maybe they'll get them into the mainstream box stores because that's where Hawk sells. So they'll finally, they'll, they'd finally be in there and people could try them out, which would help the saddle industry a ton because like, that's the number one complaint you get is I'd love to buy one, but I'm not going to spend $250 without ever trying one on. And it's different, you know, it's different than like buying a tree stand because a tree stand's a tree stand. Like they all like they're the same comfort. And you, once you've sat in a $50 one, uh, 
you know, a $200 lone wolf is fairly like similar in how you sit in it. Whereas a saddle is just a totally different thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> I actually, but, uh, I, this last year was my first year saddle hunting and I got the arrow hunter flex. Okay. And I used it for about half of the season when I started doing my like longer rut sits. I switched back to my lone wolf assault too, just because I yeah. like it and I'm super comfortable in it. Um, yep. And then at the end of the season, I actually ordered a Mantis because I wanted okay. to try it because it's just more minimal. Um, I thought the flex, just like the pleated thing, just didn't really work for me. It was just, it just get bunched up and it was extra material for me personally sure. and, the, and the way that it fit me. So I just wanted something super streamlined. And so I ordered the Mantis. It sat in a box for a few months. Then all of a sudden they came out with the Phantom and I'm like, wow, I got this brand new Mantis here and they just put out a new one. So I actually contacted them and said, can I send this back, pay the difference? And you send me the Phantom and that's what they did. And then nice. just yesterday I, I tried it for the first time and it's, I think it's going to, it fits me a lot better. Um, yeah. just, I, my lifestyle and everything. And, you know, they have like little comfort channels and I know people are like doing the DIY thing on those. It really does make a difference though. So I, I like that feature. So. Well, see, I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna try to wear the saddle and do all, all my public stuff with the saddle this year. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like it is. I I enjoy it. And two things there is like I I'm the total opposite. I like the pleated of the Arrow Hunter Flex. Like I think that fits my ass a lot better. And so when I sit <laughs> back, it makes me more comfortable, which is funny because I was also talking to like. Like people ask like, oh, what about this one? What about that one? And it's kind of, it's coming down in my opinion to like, almost like a comfort thing. Like, do you wear Sidka or First Light or, you know, Nomad or Kuyu? Like, do you wear those? It's really kind of like a, they're all good. I guess Nomad isn't necessarily in that category, but First Light, Sidka and Kuyu are kind of like top end. And it's all about like what fits you best because they have different lengths, different tightness, different fitting styles. And I, I feel like it's getting that way with saddles is like they're all good. It's just what fits you best. And you're going to be able to, you know, sit in one for up up to four, five, six hours without having a lot of issues. It's what you were saying earlier is when you're after, after that six hour mark, six, seven hours, like then it's that's where I borderline like all right, if I'm going to sit all day, I'm probably going to just pack in the lone wolf and just hang out in the yeah. lone wolf all day. Because like, it's just, it, it just, it is more comfortable. But if you're doing a public land, you know, busting brush, getting through the woods, um, like doing a ton of nasty crap and getting way back there, a lone wolf system or an XOP system, like it's nice and it is mobile, but it'll catch on branches. It'll catch on all the other crap. Whereas the saddle just essentially fits in your pocket. You know? Yeah. And, and it's just more metal to, to make noise and stuff. So yeah, yeah, there's, there's exactly. definitely pros and cons to both and you know, they both get the job done. So whatever yeah. will work for you, I guess, but I'm, I like to have options. So I, I dabble in a little bit of everything just to have the most efficient setup possible. So me too. Yeah. No, and I like, I didn't, uh, I bought my lone wolf system off Craigslist, man. I found, I found the, a stand with sticks for, uh, I paid 180 bucks for it. Wow. Like, yeah, it was in, in the spring. So the dude was trying to get rid of it and he was wanted it. He wanted 250 for it. And, uh, I offered him, I offered him 180 and he was just like, 
yeah, whatever. I'll take it. Like, I was like, oh, my God, when can you meet? <laughs> yeah, I actually, I got mine. I saw it was a Facebook ad or something, but Lone Wolf, they uh, they made a post about they have slightly blemished, I oh, think yeah. was the term they used, and they were like 30% off. And the, the only difference is the powder coating isn't quite 100%, which I bought... Uh, the, the guy I talked to, I, I wanted the assault too. He said, if you're just going to buy one, buy the Alpha. You'll want it for the all-day fit. You know, it's bigger, the Alpha 2 or whatever. So I, I bought that one, showed up. I couldn't tell any difference or where the coating was supposedly not 100%. But I liked it so much that before I even used it, I ordered the assault too just because I wanted a smaller one too. And I, I love them. So now I have two assault twos and the Alpha 2. <laughs> but I ordered, I ordered them all slightly blemished and they said that it, it's a pretty frequent thing. Like if you're in the market for a lone wolf tree stand, just to call them and ask and they'll more than likely have slightly blemished, you know, parts that they can assemble it and you'll get it at a discount. Discounted rate. Good as new. You know, you're going to cover all that stuff with stealth strips or hockey tape or whatever anyways, or yeah, whatever you're going to do to silence it. So, you know, mm-hmm. you're never going to see that. All right. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. But before we go any further, Tell people who you are. Uh, my name is Aaron <laughs> Olson. Um, born and raised in northern Michigan. Grew up um, kind of in that like northern Michigan deer camp stereotype, rifle hunting. Um, I got into bow hunting. No one in my family was really into bow hunting. And I went down, moved down to Ann Arbor, Michigan to play basketball in college at a D2 school where I played for four years and stuck around that area since and have been hunting primarily public land for the last few seasons and this year locked down a couple of private spots but i've been uh i got a youtube channel next step outdoors so check me out um kind of nah, similar nah, content. just stay stay away from that channel i heard it's garbage <laughs> wow, well that's funny because i was just about to say it's probably similar to the content you're posting so <laughs> my, my content's garbage yours is garbage too so <laughs> total just but yeah just trying to just, just trying to there's a there's a saying that if you if you help enough people get what they want you can have anything you want or something like that i'm paraphrasing but my goal is to basically help other people learn how to hunt and be better at hunting share my experiences and you know hopefully eventually i'll turn it into some type of business and by helping people i'll be able to hunt more <laughs> no shit yeah when no, that's cool yeah and uh you know welcome everybody to the deer vein podcast we we started just, I just hit the record button and we just started having a conversation anyway, but Aaron and I have been talking for a long time back and forth about uh, di- just random different things. And we're working on a collaboration video right now and uh, and he's a great dude. So yeah, definitely go check out Next Step Outdoors if you get a chance. Um, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, subscribe to his channel. Um, he's got some great content on there and he's putting out like weekly videos now, just trying to grow that YouTube channel. So there'll always be something there. Um, and it's, and I've watched a few of them and they're, they're definitely not, uh, not just like pointless videos. There's always something you can pick up from them and, uh, and you can always learn something from them. There's always little nuggets you can find anywhere. So yeah, go check those out. There's our, there's our plug. Now we don't have to do it at the end. Perfect. <laughs> hey, so, get your, get your deer vein. Here. <laughs> yeah. It's a sweet shirt you got there. Uh, for those of you listening, Aaron's got a on a deer vein shirt, which I greatly appreciate. You support me on that. Um, so, all right. So, 
deer hunting. All right. We're going to talk deer hunting. Like Aaron said earlier, he's mainly public land hunter, but he's finally got some private land locked down. Of course, you know, I did public land hunting for the last five, six years. And then last year got, uh, got some private lockdown. My family bought a piece, which is something that you're very interested in. Aaron and I were talking earlier. Um, so we'll have a conversation about that possibly offline, or maybe if it comes up, we'll do that here. But I wanted to start out with, uh, public land hunting in the early season and in the early season, I want to even, cause you're in Michigan. So you start October one, I'm in Wisconsin. We start mid September. It's the third Saturday of September. How the hell they pick that day? I don't know. Sometimes it's like set late September. Sometimes it's, I think the earliest it's ever been is like September 12th or September 13th or 14th or 15th is the earliest it's ever been, I think. Cause that would mean the first day of the week was a Sunday. First day of the month was a Sunday. Anyway, um, which has been cool sometimes because sometimes you can still get deer on trail cam in velvet in that the 15th, 16th, by the 17th, 18th, they're pretty much shed. But every now and then you can you can catch them in velvet, which would be awesome to kill a velvet buck. Um, but, uh, but in the public land stuff, I want to, one thing I really want to cover is like summer prep. You know, for the private land guys, it's like, oh, I need to do food plots. I need to do trimming. I need to cut all my trails out. I need to rehang all my stands. Public land guys don't have that, right? So what do you do? And I I, I know what I do over the summer, but what do you do over the summer to help you kind of get ready for that early season? Yeah, absolutely. So I prefer not to be in the woods in the summer because it's, super hot and bugs and muggy and where, where the areas that I hunt a lot are swamps and the bugs just get really bad. And ideally in a perfect world, I would do all of my scouting in the winter, you know, post season where I can still see everything. It's before green up. I can see scrapes on the ground. I can see deer trails from the fall still. And then when I get to this time of year, I primarily am just running trail cameras and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I like that, but, uh, this year was a little bit different cause I, tur- I turkey hunted for like a month and a half unsuccessfully. So all this time where I would have been in the woods before green up scouting and scouting and scouting, yeah. I was chasing turkeys and not killing anything. So all of a sudden it's June and I went out this last weekend and the grass is chest high there's bugs everywhere. And it was really, really challenging to, to see anything. So I guess to answer your question more directly, you know, I'm still going to continue to scout and what I'm looking for in the areas and in your area is probably somewhat similar. Do you have like swamps and marsh and stuff? Yep. So I like a lot of that because the bedding is somewhat predictable and the travel is somewhat predictable. And you can tell a lot just by looking at maps where they might be bedding. Um, can you, so can I, you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So I really like focusing on like cattail marshes or phragmites or phragmites or however you say it. Yeah. I like, I like, I like the marsh. And the reason why is like I said, everything's super predictable. If it's, it's wet, there's cattails everywhere and you see a lone tree out in the woods or out, out in the woods, out in the middle of the marsh, that tree has to have enough solid ground for the roots to, grow and for this tree to, to be standing. So it's, you can tell right away that the ground's a little bit higher there. And I would bet money that there's probably deer bedding underneath that tree. 
and, and its shade too. So you can basically just look at an aerial photo or a map, satellite image, whatever, you know, I use Onyx Hunt, but you can pick out specific little trees in the marsh. And a lot of times I'll use Google Earth because I think the, the picture quality is a little bit better in certain areas, but you can actually see trails from these trees to the mainland or to the crop fields or, or to different, you know, to different bedding areas. Um, so early season strategy for me would be to set up as close as I can to those buck beds without blowing them out of there. So in the okay. summer, I'm, I'm focusing on scouting, trying to find these bedding areas and finding the, the trails that they're leaving their beds or coming and going to these beds from the mainland and the marsh or the swamps. Sure. Yeah, no, and that's a that's like, you know, the hunting beast, right? So that's like his same style of hunting, which I also like a lot because, you know, if you look at like a property that's just like a big woods, like that is from an aerial perspective that's the hardest like piece oh, to yeah. hunt. it's just flat like flat land and woods that is so hard because there's no no transition lines there's no vegetation changes or biosphere changes it's just woods. so like if you learn and hunt that property over and over and over and over again you're going to have a major advantage to anybody else coming in but it's also going to take you years to learn it whereas you know cattail marshes they're not, they can't bed in the water like they're not going to so it pushes them just like you're saying into these islands of of oak or these pieces of high ground on the edges but they also like having those cattails because they'll run through them and their predators i.e us coyotes um won't like they usually won't and they can just scoot right on out there into the marsh and disappear um and they'll just swim away like they can do that too oh yeah you know? so um seen it before so uh, yeah, I, d I would definitely agree the the summer scouting or the bedding areas on those oak islands or just those high ground islands are very advantageous and a great way to eliminate a lot. On the negative side, like you said earlier, you're going to be fighting mosquitoes all day in early season. Like <laughs> it sucks and it sucks walking through all that crap, um, you know, especially if you're going to actually go through the swamp. You know, and you want to wear waders or you just want to get wet or you want to, you know, maybe you can put a kayak in or a canoe in, whatever it is. But, um, you know, it does kind of suck getting there early season. So, uh, but like you said, you know, catching those travel routes coming in and out and uh, and figuring those out can be very advantageous and it can be easy to do from an app like Onyx. You know, and I run Onyx too and I mark those, I mark Onyx up a ton. Um, you know, I use, I use person, I personally use colored waypoints. So I'll color them differently for different times of the season. So like if I'm looking Good at my Onyx, I'll, uh, like if it's early season, all my early season pins are yellow. So I can easily like Onyx really needs to come out with the filter feature. And I've recommended that a few times. So I hope they do in the near future. Filter by color? Filter by uh, any custom settings that you want. I mean, like you could filter it by tree stand or filter it by scrape or filter it by color or by waypoint or time they were placed, you know? I know they, I, they do, they do have some of that now. So I know you can do it by date. You can do, you can do certain features. So maybe look into that. I don't know. I don't oh, know about the color. Did that just I, come they, out? I think they made some recent updates. Yeah. Okay. Cause I got an update the other day and I denied it cause I was, just i needed to use the app right away 
but I'll have to look into that because yeah, filters would be phenomenal. But anyway, I like I so I color coat mine. Like uh, the rut is blue, um, early seasons yellow, uh, late seasons purple. So I just kind of do that so it's easier for me to view and and conceptualize quickly. Um, but uh, where was I going with that? But yeah, using OnX to see those areas are are definitely very advantageous. Uh, and then as far as summer scouting goes, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. <laughs> I, you know, I shit the bed turkey hunting this year and I put a lot of time into it. I did do like I scouted, um, the piece of private that I'm hunting. Cause it's pretty much brand new to me. I, this is my first winter ever, ever on it. And I scouted it from January to late January to mid March. And then I started really kind of just focusing on turkeys and I got a one year old. So it's like, it's hard to, it made it very difficult to like get out in the woods for long periods of time. You know, I was getting four or five hours in the woods at a crack, which you can get a lot done, but it kind of sucks when you're driving three hours round trip to, you know, go in there for four hours and drive. Oh, yeah. So that you're home to help feed the kid and take care of them and all that stuff. And I feel bad for my wife and she's a saint for watching him all the time when I go just go bomb around the woods. But uh, I, got, I got I got two dogs. So it's basically the same thing. As kids, <laughs> so I, I can relate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. I know I tell people they are one year olds like a dog, but you can't it's not socially acceptable to put them in a kennel. <laughs> <laughs> um, the. Uh, so, but over the summer, a couple of things that I have found that are helpful, and I'm sure you do these too. You just didn't mention them was one, like field scout from your truck, from your car, you know, drive around and, and just look for deer in the evening. Um, and then also, uh, trail cameras, you know, yeah, trail just, cameras is a big one. Yeah. Just a ton of them. Uh, do you, do you do the field scouting at all? From I, the vehicle? I, I, I don't, and the reason okay. being is the closest that I hunt is like an hour away, and most of the places I hunt are further than that. So gotcha. to get out there, you know, if, if I'm going to go out there, I'm going to run cameras for a couple hours, be super sweaty, covered in bug spray, and then, you know, usually by the time I hit my car, I'm super dehydrated and depleted of all nutrients in my body, and I'm ready <laughs> to just go home. Um, this year, I definitely do plan to. There's, there's not a ton of places where you can see from the road. Um, around any of the areas I hunt but I definitely want to like legitimately like take my saddle and go set up and do some observation hunts and try to get some cool footage of velvet bucks and you know see what I can learn that way so definitely you know I, I got a couple of new properties this year so I'm I got to figure them out and I didn't have the luxury of scouting them in the winter when I could actually see everything so I, I think observation hunts are going to be or observation sits are going to be the name of the game for me that and trail cameras and uh hopefully i yeah. can put it together relatively quickly in the early season no that makes that yeah scouting like observation sits you know i can't i always think they're a great idea and then i just never do them it's, it's so <laughs> yeah. hard because you just want to get you're just in kill mode and it's just it's just tough to sacrifice time that, that's why i you know like you mentioned our our season starts in october so they're not really quite in their summer patterns, but they're still on a consistent early season pattern that time. I want to start like the end, the last week of September going out there, start like 
very safe sits, nowhere where deer are going to be walking even after hours and make sure my wind's not hitting anything, but go out there before the season starts. So I don't feel pressured to just go in for the kill. And then hopefully October 1st rolls around and I know where that buck's coming out into the field under these conditions and I can go set up and, you know, just get it done on the opener. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the that's ideal scenario. Perfect world. Will that happen? <laughs> Probably not, but. No shit. Uh, coming back. What's that? So that's what keeps us coming back. Yeah. Right. I know. I always have these, these, uh, these, uh, what I want to call them, these phenomenal dreams that I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go out here. I'm going to sit, you know, September 10th, September 8th, and I'm going to be able to just watch these deer. And then, you know, the few times that that rolls around, it's like 85 degrees and sunny with no wind. And I'm like, yeah, not, not, I'm, I'm just going to wing it. I'm going to wing it like I usually do. (laughs) But that, but I mean, for me, that winter scouting does, it does like everything for me. And I do all my stuff between January and, and April. And I just lay everything out at that time. And when I find spots, which is, I'm sure you do comment on how you do this, but when I find spots, I figure out when, what conditions I would hunt this in. If it's an early season or late season spot, what wind directions I need, what entry and exit routes I need. And, uh, and then I just drop that pin on Onyx and I color code it accordingly. Is that? Yeah, that's, that's, that's spot on. When I, when I first started doing the public land thing, I would just go and mark, you know, a general area with the expectation that I was going to come back and like re refine my scouting before season at some point. And that generally never happens. So I learned quickly that when I'm there, I need to figure out, okay, you know, I think this buck is betting here on this wind direction. You know, there is a tree I'd mark the tree. And the cool thing about having on X is you can, you can, you know, label, you can put a name to the waypoint and then you can put notes in there as well. So I can put in, you know, I need to access from this direction, you know, it's a morning spot, this wind direction and I'll mark a specific tree. And it's, it's so cool that, you know, before I, I never had an actual GPS. Um, but you know, instead of having to carry both just with the phone, you're able to go in the dark and find a specific tree months later mm-hmm. and just pop up in the dark and you're hunting and you're, you know, you know, you're set up in a good spot. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm a hundred percent in favor of that. And I've said it multiple times. Don't, I used to do the same thing. Don't mark, don't mark an area, mark a tree, pick yep. a very specific tree. And, uh, one of the other things, like, I know this would just eat away at this, the, the server data for Onyx, but being able to take a picture and then, and then save it to that waypoint. You can do that would, now. You can. Oh, that must be in that update that just came yeah, through. Because what I used to do okay. is I would, I would mark it on Onyx and then I would, um, I take a, like iPhone video of the area so like I can yeah. visualize it. And uh, there's actually a feature in your iPhone that's like geotagged. So like you can see like the coordinates, like if you scroll in on your little map on, in your photo section, you can see like where that picture was taken. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're sending trail cam pictures or buck pictures to somebody, make sure you don't have your geo tracker turned on <laughs> because they'll be able to save that picture and zoom in and see exactly where you are. Um, but I used to do that as, as a, as a different way to kind of see things. But yeah, now you can do it all right in the app, which is awesome. I haven't done it yet, but yeah, you can take a picture of your tree or take a picture of the area, whatever you want to do. No shit. Like, 
add photo look at that i got the yep. update <laughs> that's a new one for me um and he's probably sort by color now too i'm doing a, a terrible a terrible terrible job here at running on x and learning all of its new intricacies but uh any, anyway um so one of the things you mentioned previously was if you think of bucks betting in this area i want to set up here how do you even get to the point where you think a buck is betting in a specific area so going back to my preferred areas to target, which is the marsh and swamp, which in my experience, you know, if you don't know anything about buck betting, we're not, we're, you know, I don't, I don't claim to be an expert and don't want to go down that rabbit hole of explaining like where they bed in all cases, but in a, in a marsh, you know, they're out there on that little island, a little high spot, whatever. And generally, it's not nearly as wind dependent as if it was hill country or farm country or something like that. So they're going to be betting there more than likely, regardless of wind direction. And it's, I don't, I don't know that there's any like definite, you know, it's, it's only a buck bet. I think does and stuff will use the same beds. But, you know, if you find a, a betting area that's just tore up with big rubs, probably a good chance there's a nice buck in there, at, at least, right. you know, often. Um, so I mark those spots and then I like the marsh bedding because like I said, they're not super wind dependent. So whereas hill bedding, you have to be really careful or farm bedding you have to be really careful and kind of on a just off wind where your wind is, the, the wind is almost in the deer's favor, but just a little, just enough off where your wind's not hitting them. Where if you're in a marsh or a swamp and they're going to bed that in that place, regardless, you can get away with hunting with the wind completely in your favor and they might come out a little later or be a little more timid because they can't smell what's what's on the main land but more than likely they're going to come out if they're not pressured and you know you're going to get a crack at them and they're not going to wind you or anything so um sure. that's that's how i try to set up at least but if it's like farm country you know generally they're going to bed with an obstacle to their back in an area that they can see a long ways, whether it's on top of a hill or on the edge of a field or an opening of some kind. And you can tell that, you know, the wind's going to be coming over their back. So that's the wind direction they're going to be bedding there. Yeah. Okay. No, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, it's pretty much exactly how I kind of think of it as well, because in the wind dependency thing, a lot of it is just because there's, there's fewer bedding areas in a swamp than there is in like a hill country. Because they can bet anywhere in hill country and in the swamp. It's just like these specific areas. Because these are the only high ground areas. Um, one of the things. So I'll add two things to that. The first one is that. Uh, to find those bedding areas. Snow. Like if you can get. If you're in an area that gets snow. Like go look when you have snow on the ground. Because it's blatantly obvious where beds are. In the snow. Like it's very very yeah. clear. And same with, same with like rubs, because when you find that bed, just look at it. And if it's anything of, of size, you know, if it's like three, four feet in diameter or length, like look around. And if you see rubs, then there's generally going to be an area where, where bucks will bed. And I like, like, uh, in my, in my experience, like I'm in the same boat as you. I don't think like all buck beds in this bed all the time it's whatever buck gets there first and then if a bigger one comes in like he'll push them out but because he wants that spot and then they'll just go bed somewhere else you know close by but somewhere else uh but 
in general, like any deer will bed there at any time because it's a safe spot. So if, if the big dog isn't there, then, you know, the younger boys will be there or even maybe a, an old mature feisty doe will take that spot and be like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to sit here. Like, yeah, get what, out of here. What's cool about that is, you know, if you find a, a bedding area that you have a big mature buck bedding, there's a reason, you know, he, he obviously made it to whatever age he's at bedding in that area because it's that secure and that safe, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a good spot. So if that buck gets killed, more than likely, another buck's going to be right in there, you know, yeah. a nice buck. So it's cool. It's like bass, you know, you find a good structure and, you know, you catch one bass out of there, but you come back the next time, there'll be one reloaded right in the same spot. Yeah. No, and I, yeah, that is something that was a theme of podcasts earlier, like during season last year, I was talking with all these different people and they, like the, the standard theme was a killing tree. There are just certain trees that when you find them, like it's close enough to a bed, it's right on the right travel corridor, it's right in the right funnel, you always have the wind in your favor, whatever it is, for some reason, that tree is like a killing tree and, and you go there in the right time of year and you're going to kill them. And that's very similar to hunting like a buck bed. Like if you can find a good early season spot, that spot's probably going to be good every single year so long as you don't muck it up. You know, or somebody else comes in and mucks it up. And I think that's why Dan Infall's been so successful is because he's hunted the same area for so long that he's figured out, you know, he scout he works hard, but scouts all these places, hunts hard, and then just goes in and has enough spots where he can bounce around and he just knows that generally this time of year if I go in on this wind, there's probably gonna be a good buck betting there. And right. you do that enough times and you're gonna you're gonna get some chances. Yeah, I know one of the things that I've really come to learn is that like hunting big deer is a is a time game. Like like you're not gonna learn it in, in one season. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna read a bunch of books and go out there and be able to just like do it. And some people might, some people might get lucky and it might happen for them. And it happens every year, you know, like every year your buddy who never hunts at all and he goes out gun hunting and he shoots you know a beautiful 10 and he's like dude i got one opening morning like never seen one before or anything like meanwhile you've been out there since september 15th and hunt all the way <laughs> to the end of december and eat your tags never get a chance right yeah i mean it, it, it happens for sure but to be able to kill deer consistently it takes a lot of time a lot of effort and a lot of understanding and uh it's just something that, that i'm really striving for and i hope this year yeah. last year i didn't kill one and i hope this year i turn it around and i'm able to to do some work yeah i'm in the, <laughs> same, I'm in the same boat i uh yeah you made a, com a comment that made me think of something i there's there's a common theme between all really successful deer hunters it seems just at some point in their life they're just 100 percent consumed with deer hunting and it's all they eat breed talk about and they're always scouting or hunting and you know, for me, that's been the last few years and it doesn't seem to be slowing down, you know, maybe when I start having kids, but, um, I think, you know, to be consistent, big buck killer. And I, not that cause I haven't killed any big bucks, but, um, not yet, but <laughs> I think, I think you just, you know, like you said, it's a time thing. You just gotta get the experience and the learning and, and make enough mistakes where you figure it out and start putting the pieces together. Right. No, I, I, I agree. One of the other ways that I find, and this is going to tie in back into our summer scouting because our summer scouting was field scouting and trail cameras. One of the other ways that I've found out where deer are bedding is trail cameras and getting them 
during daylight hours towards the end of the day, because that generally means that they're betting close by that camera. Because if they're if they're in daylight hours, uh, you know, say it gets dark at seven, you're getting pictures of a buck at six thirty. He's probably betting within a hundred yards of that of that trail camera, if not like fifty, because they just don't move that much during daylight hours, especially early season. So that that really helped me on this new piece of private that we have because I was able to find bedding areas based on that information. And, and I struck out and it was just, it, I, I, I don't know what's wrong with my entry and exit route. Like I'm still working on it, but uh, like there were multiple times I would go sit a stand and then afterwards I'd check the camera and that buck was there a day or two before. And then other times I'd check a camera and he was there a day or two after me. And it was just like, come on, like, why? Like, are you seeing me come in or am, just, am I just getting that unlucky? You know, and I've and I get cha- I've had a couple chances last year. I passed on two decent bucks and then had the big bruiser come through. But I just didn't have a shooting lane on him. So I just couldn't. I had to just let him walk at 32 yards. That was the closest he came. But I mean, it's definitely a shot that I'm willing to make. Yeah, um, he was standing at 45, uh, and all I could see was his head. You know, he's standing behind a huge thick patch, and he was just—I could just see his head. And I was just like, "Holy shit, that's a big deer!" You know, and he was just sitting there, and I was like, "Man, if he would have moved out, and I would have been able to see his body, I would have taken the shot." But I just couldn't. I had no idea where his like vitals really were. So maybe this just, summer you should work on trimming some shooting lanes. Yeah, right. No shit. I know. I got. I have like. I'm going to start a video series segment. Actually, it's a great transition. Let me plug myself. I'm starting a video series uh, on. I have 14 stands that are going to go onto that property, and my video series is going to be how I came to decide where to put all those 14. So it'll just be one stand at a time. It'll be you know a minute, two minutes long per stand, but it'll just kind of run through how I thought about it and what trail what information I use to get there. And it's really just, you know, what entry and exit routes you can have, what wind direction you can have, where you think they're coming from, where you think they're going to. It's pretty basic information, but it's laying it out all out strategically and then time of year and coordination and all that stuff. But, uh, but what I wanted to get into was trail cameras. Do you, do you run trail cameras on public? Yeah, I run a ton. Um, this year. So I, I'm kind of in an interesting place where last year I the last two seasons I've hunted like 90 probably like 90 percent public land but ran a ton of cameras um and all year long like I I normally have cameras out right now this last year I pulled all my cameras at the end of the season and then ended up I got a uh, access to a, a piece in Ohio private piece in Ohio and then um one in southern Michigan to go along with the other piece that I got permission on in southern Michigan so I got I got some options now so I'm trying to kind of figure out that balance between how much time and effort, I, you know, public land takes a lot of time. It's not close to my house by any means. It's not convenient for me. Um, but I have put a ton of work in and I, and I feel like I, I have a pretty good shot early season and there's some nice bucks running around, but at the same time, I got this private land that's brand new to me. I'm super excited to figure it out and, you know, to not have anybody else out there. So I'm still kind of like this. This is all like new as of like this weekend that I, I just got access to the oh, most recent one. So I haven't even I haven't even been there. I'm going there this weekend to check it out. But um, how'd you get access? 
I leased, I leased it off uh, Basecamp Leasing. Um, oh, sure. And, and most of the lease networks are super expensive and, you know, it'll be like five grand for a hundred acre property with like two acres of woods. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And I just was like really, really patient and watched it and watched it and watched it and watched it. And, um, you know, good, good county came up for about a grand for, um, 115 acres and it has like 30 acres of woods and it's got a river bottom running through it, you know, river running through it. Um, so a lot of diversity and, and, you know, ag. So I pulled the trigger on it. It's kind of a risk, yeah. but, uh, you know, just part of the fun and, you know, save my money so I can be reckless with it and, and hunting, <laughs> and with, you know, with, with hunting stuff. So, um, so we'll see, I gotta, I'm going to get cameras up there and just kind of get an idea, um, do some scouting, try to get an idea of deer density, what, what kind of bucks are in the area. Um, but either way, I'm going to get cameras out on public too soon. And what I guess kind of bringing everything back full circle, um, going back to some of that marsh bedding and, and how I plan to attack those is I'm basically just going to set up trail cameras on, you know, the, the main entry and exit trails out of those bedding areas on in the mainland. Um, so that way I can see what bucks are coming and going. The, the, the thing that's challenging with Michigan and, and you're kind of like right in that middle ground as far as timing is when your when your season opens but from september 1 to october 1 the deer are doing completely different things and usually right around the beginning of september you know the basher groups break up a little bit um you know their their ranges change they they kind of distribute distribute into different areas and, and spread out a little bit um so the summer trail cameras are nice. It's a good idea to get, you know, a good way to get inventory. But I basically use that summer data in two ways. One, if you get, if you, if you have bucks, you know, on a consistent pattern in the summer, you're getting them in that area and then you're getting them in like mid September, you know, you're in the game because more than likely that's going to be their home range for the beginning of fall. And, you know, you probably have months of data collected of where they like to bed, how, you know, what wind directions they're there. So you should have a pretty good chance of killing that buck. What I normally experience is, you know, you get a bunch of summer pictures of these deer and then beginning of September happens and then they're showing up on a camera a half mile away. And, you know, all the data that you have is kind of obsolete, but I, you know, you can apply it in two different ways. One, and I, I haven't paid enough attention to this to, to confirm this, but um, one of my good friends, he has this, this idea that you know if you're getting summer you know basically a buck is going to revisit his summer range in the rut so it's going to be a part of the the area that he's like checking for hot does and stuff so if you got a good buck all summer long but then he disappears off your property or you know you lose track of him more than likely at some time in, in in november you know he's going to be cruising through there looking for does so you can use that data that way um, or you could just use the data as more general and saying that, okay, a nice buck was bedding here all summer. He moved on, but hopefully another nice buck takes that area over and, you know, that'll be his fall range and you can hunt it the same. I don't know. I'm kind of thinking on the fly here. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I, I posted a comment on like Exodus trail cameras said, uh, how how much value do you place in summer summer trail camera in summer trail cameras and uh it's kind of like for me 
uh, because we do start in September. Like, I think there's a huge difference in September 15th to October 1st, you know, in, in what deer are doing. Um, based on my cameras, it's been pretty evident that they do change their patterns within that time frame. So, and I think it has something to do with pressure, something to do with when their velvet drops, something to do with just, you know, food source changes are a big one because they'll, you know, they'll be eating on soybeans all summer until, you know, September 15th or whenever they start turning yellow, yep. you know, and then they're totally changing their food source. So I think that's a, that, that is a real big one. Um, but there's a lot of different reasons why they would change. But my thing is, I feel the first, within the first week of season, you can really do some damage if you have very consistent patterns laid out. Um, that like after that first week, I think it's regardless of the state. I really do think it has a de deer definitely understand once people are hitting the woods, especially on public. Because I I just have to imagine that people in Illinois starts October 1st, too, in Michigan, like you're still able to catch something on a summer pattern for the first few days of season. Yep. And then it kind of shuts off. And it's and I feel like it's the same way in Wisconsin, even though we start two weeks, three weeks sooner. It really only lasts for a week and then it's different. And and I just I don't know why, but I have to imagine that it's the pressure. Um. The hunting pressure and deer just being like, oh, crap, I smell, you know, hunters in the woods now. And I just got to, you know, I got to figure out what I want to do now. I got to go back to what I did last year that kept me safe, you know. So um, that's my my theory on that. And then from there, it's it's totally going into you just got to kind of wing it and get lucky for the next couple of weeks until pre-rut hits. And then they start like smashing scrapes and then I go into scrapes. So, and then I go into travel. So my general theory is like food sources and tra like bedding areas in the beginning of the year and then scrapes and rubs and bedding areas like October, mid October to late October. And then I flip over to travel corridors during the rut and I just hope to catch them in a pinch point. And, uh, and then I flip back after the rut to food sources and, you know, just yeah. trying to, that's, that's, those are the kind of, kind of like the four high overview ways I break down a season. Um, and, uh, and that's just my, my strategy and how I do things, but I do run a ton of trail cameras and I still run them on public land. I'm not a ton. I shouldn't say that. I have nine. So it's not like I'm running a whole slew. Yeah. So right now I have six of them out on public by my house. Um, in my, my situation, it's totally different. The public from my house, the closest parking lot is about three minutes. The furthest parking lot is about 25. So like I can, yeah, I can just bop out there and, and scoot out there really quickly if I want to. Uh, so I do have them out over the summer and I like to put them out over the summer because a, like you said, you can do an inventory, but my big thing is there's no one else out there right now. So the, you get to catch a lot of deer that are unpressured and don't really worry about human activity and they'll kind of move accordingly. They'll move better during daylight hours. You get better photos of them. Um, and then also you, you have much less risk of your cameras getting stolen or messed with. So that's my big, yeah. that's my big reason. Knock, for running over the Knock on wood. I haven't had, and, and I'll run cameras, you know, 
right on the edge of a field that gets a ton of traffic, like people traffic. And knock on wood, I've I've had I had one camera stolen two years ago and one stolen last year. The one two years ago was the only camera that I had at ground level. I Python lock them and I usually hang them like you know I use one climbing stick sure. and hang them eight or ten feet up. And I think that helps people from you know they can't see they don't see it as easy they can't steal it as easy obviously and I also think like the deer don't see it as quite as easy. Yeah. Uh, but so the only one I had stolen was that the only one I had at ground level two years ago, it was locked. I cut the lock. And then last year I was super excited. I had this one soaking over the travel corridor with a big apple tree and was kind of scrape. And I left it from like the week before season. And I came back after season. So like months of data, a whole season's worth of yeah. data. I get out there. Somebody shot my camera. They shot the lock. So like broke the lock and it fell and they took my camera and the strap was just like laying there blown up. No that's, shit. That, that's that's the most redneck thing that I've I've experienced oh, man. recently. So Yeah, honestly, like to make you feel a little bit better, you're not the first person I've heard that story from. Because during I pull all my cameras off of public before gun season. I try to normally, yeah. Yeah. And that's like I like because I had a I had a person tell me that before too, and it's just like I like to believe and I'm and I'm not I know this isn't 100% true but I like to believe that bow hunters are a little bit more respectful of everything than gun hunters. Shoot them out of the trees for sure. Yeah, well yeah, they just don't really have the capability unless they're <laughs> carrying. Um but yeah, no, I like to believe and I've and I've had bow hunters steal my shit before too. So it's like there's always bad eggs out there. But I feel like gun hunters just bring that many more opportunities for bad eggs. So I just I always pull all my gear and it's not it's it's actually not like, say, gun season starts November 15th. I'll pull all my cameras on November 7th or November 6th, because the Saturday before gun season opens are when all them people hit the woods and they're like, shit, I got to figure out a spot for next weekend, yep. you know? And so then they'll all go out there and I've had, I've had multiple, um, like I'll Python lock them, but I won't always lock the door and I get my cards stolen fairly regularly around that time frame. Like that's if I don't get out there peeve. in time. That's my biggest pet peeve is the cameras that aren't designed for the door to lock. With like, the Python. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's one thing to, yeah, I want, the camera and the door locked at the same time. That's why for my public land cameras, I normally just run like the Moultrie A series are just like, they're, they're idiot proof, super dependable cameras. The last, they'll probably last two years on one set of lithium batteries. I never leave them that long, but way longer than yeah. a year. But yeah, they lock the, they lock the camera and the door locks with the, you know, with the Python lock, which is super nice because otherwise, yeah, people are going to steal your cards. Right. Yeah, I know. Or you got to get a separate set of locks. Yeah. You know, you got to get a Python lock and then, a you know, your regular key lock. But uh, but yeah, I do. I do that same thing. I, I'll hang my cameras high, but uh, I really like to run them over the summer and I'll run them. You know, the mosquitoes and, and in a swamp environment, it keeps a lot of people away early season anyway. Um, so I always I'll, figure I always figure, you know, I'm probably one of the crazier people out there and diehard bow hunter so if i don't want to be out there that's going to keep most people out of there you know what i mean yeah no really i see traffic pick up a lot um halloween weekend 
Like that mm-hmm. seems to be a big trigger for a lot of bow hunters. And uh, like, yeah, I mean, cause I like when I drive to my spots, like the furthest lot is 25 minutes. So if I go there, I drive past about six or seven other lots and I can check them all and see who's where and stuff like that. And I've met a bunch of guys and I know their trucks now. And in uh, a bunch of them, um, like they will also, I've asked them the same thing. Like, do you see more pressure as it gets closer to Halloween? And they're like, yeah, it seems like everybody and their brother starts bow hunting on Halloween. But, you know, early October, mid-October, no one's out here October 15th. It's just me, you know. Oh, that sounds nice. <laughs> I, I, I shot a buck. I think it was the first weekend in October. It was October 5th on public land. And the reason why I ended up where I was is because, you know, I had a plan A. I went out there at, like, noon on Saturday. There's five trucks in the parking lot. I go to plan B, a bunch of trucks in that parking lot. I go to plan C. And then I eventually just got to a parking lot, you know, a little pull-off. I didn't have anybody. So I pulled over. I'm like, okay, it's public land. Did a little cyber scouting. Picked a spot where I wanted to get to and scouted my way in and shot a buck. <laughs> <laughs> so, right? It's, yeah. And that's probably, you know, you probably shot it because no one else was hunting there and there was yep. no pressure there. Right. I mean, that's a big thing is like, it's not always the best spots that's wins. It could be the, just the spot that has the least amount of pressure. That's something that people always need to keep in mind. Cause I've found spots like that too. It's like, why are the deer here? There's no food source. It's not really that great of a bedding area. I guess they have escape routes. And then I think about it and it's like, this is the furthest from any of the trails that are cut by the DNR or, or off the main path or whatever. Like this is like a hard spot to get to. So deer are just here because it's, it's no pressure and they're not bothered. Um, one of the other things that I want to point out with, with summer scouting and my summer scouting specifically is I really like to target because of the hot temperatures and because of the mosquitoes. Um, I really like to target spots that are close to the parking lot. <laughs> it does sound um, nice. Yeah. And cause I mean, there is no pressure, so it's not like you need to move a mile in right off the bat anyway. Cause there's, like I said, there's no pressure. Plus the shorter walk, less sweat, less scent, less, you know, just frustration and then less mosquitoes. Um, and I use a thermocell, you know, all day, every day, but, um, it still doesn't, it doesn't keep everything off you, especially when you're walking in and walking through crap. But, uh, but yeah, that is one of my, one of my go-to strategies is, I tried, I dropped my cameras on spots close to parking lots that I think will be good. And I've been able to find a few. Um, It's taken, you know, every year I'll probably try to find like whatever, six to eight and I'll eliminate seven of them and a one will be good. But over the last, you know, five, six, seven years of hunting this, I've been able to find these seven, eight spots that are good early season that I don't have to walk very far and I can just kind of sneak in there and pop up. You know, <laughs> my kind of, that's my kind of spot. We went, me and my buddy drove to, uh, out to Missouri and hunted and he was packing like a mile and a half in and I'm like, drop me off right here, walk in 50 yards and hop in a tree. <laughs> yeah. Right. I know. Yeah. You can find those spots and they're actually good. Like those are, those are premium. And one year, man, I had, he was killed. He was killed later that year. He, uh, in late July, he was, he was 12 points and I like, he was, a, he was a tank and he was 30 yards off the road 
and less than 100 yards from the parking lot in a in a bean field on public land and i was like what the hell is this you know so i dropped three cameras looking for him never got a picture of him and he was killed like a quarter mile away on private you know um during gun season and he was killed actually i scratched that he was killed on public by a guy hunting out of a box blind on private so i was just like overlooking yeah overlooking the the public right someone bumped him on the public he ran through a gap in the tree line and this dude shot him um which and i after i talked to him it seems to be a consistent he's like yeah i kill i kill a good buck out of this blind once every few years you know and i'm like some people bumping deer to him yeah from people from people on the public bumping deer because there's only one way this this piece works from west to east and you can only park on the west so if you're coming in you have to go from west to east and then he has a box blind and kind of like the two-thirds of the way on the east in a big gap between oak islands there are these big oak islands and he's got he's got a nice box blind that covers them so the deer will run they'll cross one oak island they'll be going to the next one to think for safety and he'll just you know catch them right there <laughs> but uh it's a nice setup for him you know i congratulate him I'm like yeah man that's a good setup like that's i was just to yeah 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 i'll have to try to kill him before he gets to you you know um but uh but yeah so then as far as like that's generally the summer my summer information is you know i'm just trying to summarize this up so we can move on to another topic um but you know field scouting you know hunting close to the parking lot uh trail cameras running trail cameras and you generally put them on you said um entry and exit routes from those kind of high ground spots i'll I'll either do that or i'll or i'll just run them straight on the food sources in in a perfect world you know i'll have all my scouting done right after the season before you know during the winter so i'll have all my scouting done i'll know where the bedding areas are and then i'll try just to run cameras on the food sources it's low impact you get a lot of pictures you're able to see and like you were kind of saying earlier you know if you're getting pictures of daylight bucks or you know close to daylight on one side or the other chances are he's probably betting close and you can just kind of reverse engineer based off of all of your scouting that okay you're seeing him in this food source at this time closest bedding area is here so you can kind of just work that way so i'm either i'm either monitoring the trails going to the bedding or just on the food sources and depending on my you know depending on my off-season scouting to be able to figure out where he's at sure that makes sense uh what about the so what about food sources what kind of food sources um have you found to be like effective during the early season uh beans beans, beans. Okay. Bean fields are awesome um obviously you know the deer are crushing them until they start turning um but that's the first year on public all i did was set up a bunch of cameras on the edge of these bean fields and i was able to you know, I didn't shoot any deer out there, but I got lots of lots of nice pictures. <laughs> pictures though. But uh, any, I was able to inventory, you know, a lot of bucks. And, you know, based off of the scouting that I had done the, the off season previous to that, I was able to, you know, try to kill them. And, you know, I got a couple encounters with some nice bucks. But um, and then, you know, throughout the season, I'll basically, you know, run cameras on the food sources. And then as the season goes on, like you were saying, you know, kind of shift to scrapes. So I'll 
start hitting the scrapes off of the field, you know, kind of into the woods, kind of back my way into the woods, trying to get closer to where they're betting and try to figure them out that way. Sure. Uh, so what outside of beans, do you target anything else like apple trees or acorns or anything like that? Um, I, yeah, totally. Um, there's a lot of areas that I, a lot of areas that I hunt are like a peninsula that have oak trees on them that is like jutting out into a marsh uh, or a swamp of some kind. So it's the first like real solid ground that these deer who are bedding out in the little marsh islands and stuff, first area that they're going to come onto. And, um, you know, if it's a good acorn year, you can have a ton of, a ton of success hunting that way or just running your cameras and getting good pictures. Um, and you can tell, you know, a lot of times if they're in daylight or close to it, you know, they're bedding, you know, in the marsh right there. So I do, I I do that a lot. I run them on little oak points. Um, I haven't had an opportunity to really run them on apple trees too much, except for the one that I had last year that I never checked because it got stolen. Um, but yeah, I'd absolutely apples would be killer. Um, or, you know, a lot of times you can find like a good, like a, I don't know what you'd call them, a primary scrape, maybe like, you know, they don't always work to scrape in the summer, but they'll hit that licking branch all year long. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, I'll try to find some old, you know, if you find an old scrape, more than likely those deer are still hitting the licking branch, even if they're not working the scrape. Um, You know, that's a great, great way to get pictures that way too. Sure. No, that makes sense. And that's something I haven't done a lot of. um, I'll show you you a picture. Here's here's from yesterday on a scrape that I found. And I don't know if you'll be able to see that, but. Yeah, he's got he's got like I don't know if he's got a he's got a brow tine and then a split off of that or maybe it's a second main beam I can't tell but he's gonna be a tank. Yeah, it kind of looks so, like a tree branch coming out of his head. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I'm. That's what I'm after right there. So oh, that thing's. Sweet. But yeah, that was just that, that was an old scrape that I found. I mean, I kind of kicked the scrape. You know, I picked it up and pissed in it, but they're just hitting the licking branch. So yeah. No, yeah, that's sweet. And that is, that is a good thing that tip that I've learned, um, just from watching, I don't know if you know, uh, whitetail habitat solutions, Jeff Sturgis, if you watch any of his stuff. Yeah, he does. He does a lot of stuff and his mock scrapes are one of his favorite things and running cameras on scrapes year round is a, is one of his favorite things to do. And he says it works phenomenally well. And they, like you said, they don't hit the scrape. They'll just go lick that branch, just let all the other deer know that they're in the area and just move on. But it still gives you a great inventory of what's actually out there and what's moving around. Um, so the last thing that I wanted to talk about, we're just over an hour here, and I know people are getting bored of listening to us. But uh, you got the... this. Do you think people are still listening right now? <laughs> I don't know. Some people make it all the way to the end. um the uh i want to know how you intend on breaking down the new property that you're gonna that you kind of mentioned earlier with the river bottom it's 30 acres it's 115 overall lots of ag river bottom and trees what are your can you describe the property so that somebody Mm -hmm. listening can you know kind of envision it and then also what what you're thinking yeah what you're thinking about how you're going to attack that yeah so there is so imagine a rectangle um on the 
on the west side, there's a little, you know, you basically park on the west side. There's, there's a road that borders the west side and the north side. Okay. And you with me so far? Yeah. And then yeah. On, the, on, the, on the northwest corner, there's five acres. Um, it looks like, from what I can tell, there's like a little pond, maybe a little wetlands area. Um, looks kind of thick and nasty and a little chunk of woods, about five acres. And then there's a bunch of wide open ag. And then there is a um, about 20 acre chunk that extends the entire property north to south on the far west end of the property, or sorry, the far east side of the property. And it has a river running from it north to south. Um, and the, it kind of winds through there. So I'm able to hunt both sides of the river, which is pretty okay. cool. Yeah. Um, so how I typically attack, you know, what, what my plan is, especially at this time of the year, and I probably, you know, if it was the middle of winter, I'd be, I'd be in every nook and cranny, you know, sniffing beds, trying to figure it out. But, you know, yeah. it's, it's going to be a jungle out there. Um, and I'm kind of short on time for at least the, the initial trip that I'm going to go on Sunday. Because it's two and a half hours from my house, which is a hike. So two and a half hours, you know, do all my scouting and then two and a half hours back. But I'm going to focus, basically walk the transition line around the outside of, um, you know, the woods, kind of on the, on the transition line of where the woods meet the ag. And you're able to tell a lot, you know, if you see big rubs going into the woods, you know, you, you see good trails, then I'll probably go in and investigate a little bit further and try to find specific bedding areas. Um, but, you know, I'm basically looking for, I'm looking for uh, deer tracks, you know, big, big, heavy trails. I'm looking for rubs, scrapes, and, you, you know, it's challenging, but you still can find scrapes this time of the year. You can still find rubs. Um, specifically, I'm looking for big rubs to kind of validate that there's big deer in the area. And, uh, and then I'm just trying to, like, generalize where the bedding areas are. So, you know, I'll, I'll focus a lot walking the perimeters, try to figure out what I can you know, learn from that. And then I'll be hanging probably, I got a couple of cell cameras. I just, they're actually going to be here Saturday. The new um, stealth cam fusion cell cams, they're more like, uh, you know, entry price point, lower price point trail cameras. They're basically like the direct competitor for like a spy point link micros. I think they're like 150 bucks, you know, pretty cheap for a cell cam. Yeah. So I'm going to try to get a couple of those up just so I can Kind of remotely monitor, get an idea of deer density and, and what kind of caliber of bucks are in the area. Um, but then I'll probably do, you know, another scouting trip, you know, another month or two when I check cameras. And, um, you know, we can't run any bait or minerals here. So, unfortunately, I can't do that. But uh, Yeah, we're in the same boat in that yeah. regard. And the early season, though, I'm just planning on, you know, observation sit and then going for the kill. And hopefully between my camera intel by then and, and what I'm able to observe, I'm able to get on something early and get it done. Yeah. So, yeah, my thought, like, I'm I'm in that same boat. Like, if it were a winner, you know, you're being every nook and cranny. Uh, I do like the idea of trying to find those scrapes because I did I had last summer. So we bought our property in August season started in september so I'll, first time i walked the property was august 23rd and i found uh one scrape that was pretty big and so i dropped a camera on it and the two biggest bucks on the property seemed to own that scrape i couldn't tell you why but i barely either got those two big bucks which were were like 140 inch eight point and 
the non-typical who he'd probably be in like the 160 range or something like that. So it was those two were hitting it. And then none of the mid range class bucks, none of the one hundreds to one thirties or anything like that. And then just like little forks. So it was really interesting in that regard. Um, Cause no one else, no one else touched it, but those, those types of deer. And, uh, but they hit it, they were hitting it two days after I dropped the camera um, in early, early or late August, early September. And they were hitting it consistently every three to four days, they'd be in there hitting it. And they were hitting it at consistent times too. Um, the eight point was always in the evening within an hour of dark whenever he hit it. And the non-typical was always between one and 3 a.m. And it was super interesting uh, just to kind of figure that out and see that. But the I, I didn't think a scrape was going to be that productive in the early season, and it was. So finding scrapes out there, I'm sure, will be a very advantageous for you. And then do you know what's planted in that field? Or are you going to, I have no clue. Yeah. So you don't know now, but that'll be important too, because that'll dictate, you know, if it's going to be an early season food source or if it's corn, it'll be late season, or maybe it's just freaking clover or hay. And you're just like, yeah, I literally have no clue. Right. Yeah. So maybe, and maybe that little Northwest like cubby will be a nice little honey hole that, you know, maybe deer have, has this been leased out previously? I honestly have no clue. I'm guessing yeah. so. I'm what I'm I'm guessing is somebody leased it and then came time to renew and either you know whatever COVID nineteen related reason they're not able to afford to, to renew it and sure. So, are you going to meet the owner then too? Um. So I looked on you know on Onyx you can see the the property owner. Um. It's like some investment company. So I don't know if somebody just oh. bought the land and, you know, they lease out the fields to the farmers and they lease out the hunting rights. I, I don't right. know. I, I will get contact info at some point. And when I do, I'll, you know, I'll ask them about previous years. Lease, yeah. You know, what they were That's successful or. Yeah. So. Yeah. Huh. A lot, a lot of those investment people aren't like in it for hunters to be on it <laughs> yeah and and you know who knows maybe uh maybe somebody you know grandparent owned it and they passed and they inherited it and you know sure. just switched the name to their llc or something i don't know there's a lot of yeah. a lot of guesses, yeah but. no i think i i think those river crossings like if you can find good river crossings those have always been very helpful for me because it's kind of just like another barrier, right? There's only yeah. going to be so many of them. It's going to really create finite crossings. Plus, it'll give you really cool trail camera pictures. So, and I'm excited to be able to access um, from the road from the north, the river. Oh, yeah. Like crosses. So I, if I wanted to drop in a kayak or just, you know, I don't, it looks like a pretty decent sized river. So, like, I think I could get a kayak or canoe in there and, you know, float my way down and hop up in a tree right off the river or something. So that'd be a phenomenal access. Yeah. Route. That'd be really yeah. cool. Well, no, that's all good. All right, man. Well, yeah, I mean, hour 10. Um, we covered a lot of stuff today and we'll have to ba- have you back on like when season actually hits and see how some of these things turned out and and what you're looking what you're looking at at that point, you know, for the, the remainder of your early season plus going into mid in the rut and then, you know, see how your plans work out. But, uh, but really appreciate you having you on. Um, and just because we can, can you tell people once again, where you're at? Uh, yeah, you can find me at next step outdoors on YouTube. 
and uh, Instagram, Facebook, and you in the next the next week or two, you'll be seeing Anthony here featured in one of my videos talking about my uh, you know mobile hunting and and some topics related to mobile hunting. So um, that's coming down the way. But yeah, I appreciate you having me on. You know, you've had a lot of really cool guests on your podcast, so I feel feel honored to be a part of it. <laughs> ah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Catch you later, man. All right. Thanks. Take care.